You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. I think the industry, personally, or even not in the you know the industry, I think fly fishing right now is at a huge benchmark where there's so many people getting involved, whether it's families, whether it's young, old, inexperienced, experienced. There really is no barrier. I think that intimidation factor is, is truly gone, and people are just understanding that. Can, you can try it. You can just go out and even if you don't succeed, it's like you're putting the waders on, you're going to the river, you're in a beautiful country or you're somewhere that you didn't know existed near your house and you just try to catch a fish and it's, you know, the, the fun and the highs and lows, all of it combined. I think people just realize how powerful that energy is that we're describing, you know, it can be an everyday experience or just a few trips in a lifetime that can be really amazing. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Here's a quote for you. 80% of the trout that you are going to catch in your lifetime are within 20 feet or less. So says our next guest, and we've been trying to get him on the show for, for quite some time. Really stoked to have Landon Mayer on the podcast. We're going to chat with him in just a moment. He's out of Lake George, Colorado. Father, author, guide. He's just a wealth of information. We'll, we'll check in on our top 10 cities in just a moment. want to let you know that the good folks at the Fly Crate sponsor the show. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques, and they provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company, and they're committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. Check them out at www.theflycrate.com. Top 10 cities uh, for downloads this week. Thanks, folks, for listening in Arlington, Texas, Houston, Texas, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, also Reston, Virginia, Suncook, New Hampshire, Randolph, Massachusetts, Eugene, Oregon, Bozeman, Montana, Reno, Nevada, and Vancouver, British Columbia. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We want to welcome, really excited this time around, to say hello to Landon Mayer. Now, Landon is from Landon Mayer Fly Fishing out of Lake George, Colorado. Uh, he is father, author, guide with Yeti, S.A., R.L. Winston, Fish Pond, Bower Reels, ProTech, and Flycraft. And he's a busy guy, and we're really grateful you took the time. Thanks, Landon, so much for coming on the program. Oh, my pleasure, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be fun. Well, I always like to start the show off and kind of hit the rewind button. So think about, <laughs> think how it all started for you. How did this obsession for fishing, for everything fins and fly fishing start? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, for me, it was in Colorado Springs growing up. I remember as a kid growing up and traveling occasionally up to 11 Mile Canyon and I think it hit me when I would watch other anglers at the time. I think I was six or seven through a couple rooster tails and little cast masters. Didn't have a lot of success, but I just loved 11 Mile Canyon. It's a beautiful tailwater below Mile Reservoir. These wonderful granite rocks and you drive things going in on a what would be the old railroad track. And just watching anglers casting in the line and the light and the obsession 
that I could see through them when they'd hook a fish and get excited. And I just, at that time, figured out on the way back that you could camp there. And I thought, wow, how cool would it be to be able to come up and do that on the weekend or to come up and do that with the family? And that was kind of the, the growing point. And from there, it, you know, just continued to build. But I never, I will never forget that moment. That was really one that stood out clearly. We all have those moments, you know, when you just, it's just kind of etched in time and you're like, yeah, it's something you can always go back to and pull, <laughs> pull from, you know what I mean? Like we, we all have them. That's exactly. Pretty, that's pretty cool. Who, who would you say that you were influenced by? So who kind of was your mentor to, when you got going in, in the industry? Yeah, you know, it's, and that's the thing for me. I mean, I always, people ask that question quite a bit now, who, who influenced me? Who are my mentors? Who are the people I looked up to? And, and it's such a list of just amazing people I met along the way. And that's why I try to, just for the record, I try to keep it where everything I do is based on a positive giving back nature. Cause I was always blown away just how cool people were about the sport and how many people were willing to give back. And after those moments in 11 mile Canyon, I had this really awesome teacher. Her name was, Barb Pangrak, and it was at Challenger Middle School. She was really cool since that she was into fishing, into camping, would allow me to go up on the football field between football practice and throw a fly line, would really talk to me about fishing on the Gunnison River. And that influence and just really that positive nature about her was something that stood out and really helped me become confident and thinking, hey, I can, I can go out and really start pursuing this. And that kind of led me on the way where I started traveling in. I convinced my mom to drive me down and go into the Angler's Covey when it was in Colorado Avenue and the old Victorian building. It's a great shop now, but I remember when Kent Brecky owned it and Jim Allman was in the shop and Greg Blessing and there was uh, Gary Alameda who had influenced me later. And mm-hmm. there's so many great people in that shop. And I, I just started going in and visiting them and it really it really did start to hit home. So those, she was my first mentor. And after that, my mentor for teaching was Doug Swisher. I absolutely loved the scientific anglers mastery series VHS tapes. And I would, I literally, and this is kind of funny story. I would rent the VHS tape from the anglers Covey and watch Doug and how he taught. And he had a very unique voice. And I always remember the microsecond wrist. You want to throw the microsecond wrist. <laughs> that always stuck home with me. I know. <laughs> so I, I still hear that voice to this day. But then I, I would watch that so many times. And I rented it that Jim Allman and the other Angler Covey guys would, would call me up and say, Landon, you've had that VHS tape for like three weeks now. You got to return it, man. The late fees are going to be out of this world. So I'd returned it and finally got to the point where one, one time I returned the VHS tape and they played it, they rented it to a customer. The customer played it through halfway and it actually stopped playing. That's how many times I would <laughs> watch it and rewind and watch it and rewind. <laughs> I know it was, it was an obsession young, but that, that would really, that he was my starting point as a mentor that really got things going. <laughs> Walk us through that transition. So when you're, 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 you're coming along, you're learning, you're getting really immersed in the fly fishing world right. at what point did you say to myself yourself i think i want to make this into a living yeah so this, this is when and and the journey from there it, it's it's interesting how many steps along the way so i watched doug i i absorbed everything i could and really outside of fishing that was my way to stay connected so then i would watch i would watch gary borger i'd watch um 
Barry Beck and I'd watch all these great anglers, you know, Stu Ab, Billy Pate, everybody I could with VHS or video. And that led me to going into the shop. And I, I finally got to the point where I realized, okay, this is going to cost the money. So I started throwing a newspaper route with the Gazette Telegraph and I would throw the route every Saturday and Sunday and they'd say, Hey, you know, what's, what are you going to do this week? And you'd always try to set goals with how many, how many routes you would do, but then also how many people you'd sign up. And if you would go door to door on the weekend as a young kid and try to get people to subscribe, you had this lottery that you could do every month where if you had so many tickets, you'd have so many pulls from the lottery. And sometimes it would be upwards of like 500 bucks. And I finally won a big lottery, like $400, ran down to the Covey, bought my first reel, which was an Orvis Battengill. And I was so stoked. I thought, man, this is going to be, it's going to be awesome. Well, at that moment, when I'm in there looking at the reels, Greg Blessing walks in with one of his clients and this guy was so fired up. Just, Oh, the Canyon was on fire. It's fishing great. And things are on fire. I, I can't wait for the tying class. And he and Gary Alameda started talking about tying classes and tying flies. And I'm looking in the bin and I, it just hit me right there. It's like light bulb went off. I thought, man, if I could tie flies, I could supply flies. I could have some gear. I could, when I get my license, man, I could fish whenever I wanted. So my mom was with me at the time. And of course she was such a great woman. Robbie is my mom's name and she's responsible for just driving me to all these awesome locations. And my brother would follow and, and my sister as well. And, and my father was always with us. He, he passed at a young age, so didn't have the chance to really fish with him. But the, the importance for us growing up was definitely the excitement that we saw from other people. So long story short, she buys me a tying class. I go to this class with Gary Gary taught me how to tie old school, you know, wax the thread, dubbing, deer hair, spinning it for muddler minnow, all the great tools that really you can benefit from. And I'll never forget at the end of the five-week course, everybody got a beer and I got a soda. I was 13 (laughs) years old, so I thought, man, this is is really cool. But it, you know, he was, that was the moment where it kind of hit me. If I could, if I could really work at this, you know, maybe there's a way I could fish more. Maybe there's a way a way that I could pursue this as a career. And that was Gary Alameda still to this day works at the local Bass Pro Shop. And every time I see him and he sees other people I know, he's like, I taught that kid out of time when he's 13. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool to have that connection. I love it when I hear things come full circle like that too, because you think about it, you were influenced (laughs) by all these guys and now you flip the page or influence on all these people. I want to get to know you yeah. behind the scenes a little bit, Landon. Can we, uh, are you ready for a few sure. ra- rapid fire questions? All right. That's yeah, it. no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? So, tunes for me, there's there's a couple that really stand out. James Taylor. I love James Taylor. Nice. Uh, Fire and Rain. Yep. All the different songs I used to listen to, I would, I'd rock out to James Taylor. Stevie Ray Vaughan. I remember growing up and traveling with friends or, or Barb and family and all these other people to the water and, and rocking out to some Stevie as he ripped the guitar. And lately, I mix it up now. Our children are getting older, so I hear some pop here and there and some mixed up this or that for, uh, for hip-hop or whatever it is. But I remember one of the bands that really stands out with me that I enjoyed listening to with the long, mm-hmm. long sets and just some amazing musicians is Tool. Oh yeah, I really like listening to Tool to the Water. Yeah, and they have such <laughs> an in fact, avid following. Oh, 
Yeah, they do, man. And they're coming to the World Arena here in June, and I'm I'm dying because I want to go to the show. But you know how it is, man. I've got trips on that day. I just don't know what's going to come together. But at least we came back out with the new album, right? Oh, you, you'll make it happen. So let's talk yeah. sports. Your favorite team, sure. team to cheer for? Are we talking Rockies? Are we talking Nuggets? Are we talking Avs? Are we talking Broncos? Or is it someone else? Yeah. No, it's uh, Broncos and and the Rockies, man. I I grew up on Elway. Um, one of a couple of my clients were affiliated with the Denver Broncos and were kind enough to help myself and my family get to some of the games when Peyton Manning was in the house. And it's uh, yeah, the Broncos and then you know also the Colorado Rockies. We've had a chance to to really see uh, Chuck Nasty and some other players that are into the sport now doing great things. And it's such a cool influence when you see it growing up as a kid yourself, how excited you got at the games and watching some of these pro athletes have become mentors. And then you're seeing that same excitement through your children. So those, those two teams are the ones I root for day in and day out for sure. Yeah, the old orange and blue. Hey, that's good. Cool. Hey, yeah. <laughs> one fly pattern you can't live without. Mm, that's a tough one. So the one pattern that I cannot live without now is by far my mare's mini leech. That has been for the last three years. I, if you were to ask me three, I could name three, but as far as the one pattern that really does stand out for me, it, it's that mini leech just because it, it works so well as an attractor, mm. a natural drift, rivers and still waters. And Somebody told me a couple of years ago, it's always leech season. And I, I thoroughly believe that it's high water, low water, clear water, dirty water, rivers and still waters. Most of the time you can find leeches and trout love them. Yeah, that's, that's my go-to. It, just out of curiosity, what are the other two? Yeah, so the other two would, would by far, I'd say the next to the, the Mare's Mini Leech would have to be the Red Copper John. John Barr, I didn't get to that phase of the story. I'm happy to go there if you want to as well. But John Barr was the person responsible for opening the doors for me after I found this excitement in the industry, really wanted to make something of it. He was not only a great mentor, he's a great friend. He's a kind individual. And I've never met another person as a designer and an angler that when you open their box, he literally fishes every single bug he ties for every situation. It's the most, it's hmm. the most thing I've ever seen. There's not a single pattern out of his patterns. And that's why John designed what he designed is because that's what he truly does fish. So the copper John is an awesome attractor. And then I would, I would have to say going from kind of the leech, which could represent a, a streamer per se. And then the red copper John, as far as a dry fly is concerned, the Griffiths Nat is, in my opinion, one of the greatest dry flies ever. It's, it's a guide fly, simplistic, easy to tie. And to be honest, let's say you're out in the middle of a betas hatch or even PMDs or red quills, no matter what the hatch is, it's not uncommon with that food supply being around all year that trout will see adult midges. And I, I think the Griffiths Nat is always a great cleanup fly, standby fly, and just really a home run hitter. So those three are I think very, very, very crucial flies for dries, nymphs, and streamers. Favorite place for you to go and talk fly fishing? Is there a coffee shop near your uh, hometown? Is there a fly shop, a watering hole? Where do you get your fix when you're not on the water? <laughs> to be honest, it's 
it's not even one. It's now, it's honestly now being on the road. It's, it's traveling to the fly fishing shows with the likes of Jeff Courier, Ed Engel, Phil Rowley, Blaine Chocolate, anybody else who's there with Ben Ferensky who's running the show now. It's awesome when I'm at a club or a local shop, whether it's the Peak Fly Shop, the Angler's Covey, the South Platte Fly Shop locally, Blue Quill, St. Pete's, Laughing Grizzly. I mean, the sky's the limit. There's so many great shops in our state of Colorado, but I just love the fact that when you show up and everybody is coming together, everybody's gathering at one point at one specific time, and it could be big numbers, could be small numbers, but it's just the energy in the room that really gets me going because that's, you know, the next best thing that fishing is talking in. And that's, that's what gets me all pumped up. I mean, four days ago, I was up in Fort Worth doing a presentation at the Fort Worth Fly Fishers and the gentleman, Glenn Gaminski, who, who sponsored the event for me and hosted me, I watched him land a, a 21, 22 pound small, small mouth buffalo on the fly in Texas. this is so it's yeah it's just so cool so for me it's it's kind of just abroad it really is it's not a specific spot it's more of just just meeting and greeting people man i just love that part of our sport yeah those shows are just so good for that they're they're infectious and it just gets the blood going it gets the brain thinking and i know i'm the same way i come away from those things and i am motivated whether it's to tie hit the water find some new water (laughs) you know and that's yeah. honestly that's why I started exactly. this that's why I started this podcast, Landon, is to have guys like you on and just share that passion because that's what I think is so great about our industry is everybody wants to share it. I mean, and anybody that's into right. it wants to talk it. Oh yeah. Absolutely, man. They wanna they wanna talk about it. Everybody wants to learn from it. And I think the industry personally, or even not in the you know, the industry, I think fly fishing right now is that a huge benchmark where there's so many people getting involved, whether it's families, whether it's young, old, inexperienced, experienced, there really is no barrier. I think that intimidation factor is, is truly gone and people are just understanding that you can, you can try it. You can just go out and even if you don't succeed, it's like you're putting the waders on, you're going to the river, you're a beautiful country or you're somewhere that you didn't know existed near your house. And, you just try to catch a fish and it's, you know, the, the fun, the highs and lows, all of it combined. I think people just realize how powerful that energy is that we're describing. You know, it can be an everyday experience or just a few trips in a lifetime. It can be really amazing. That's well said. Um, biggest lesson that you have learned on your fly fishing journey, if you had one takeaway, what would it be? One takeaway for me, to be honest, the biggest takeaway that I've learned in fly fishing is the skill of staying positive. And when I, what I mean by that is not positive where you're negative, but that moment where you put everything together, you've hooked the fish, you've fought the fish, everybody's around you, your friends, loved ones, or you're there with another person, or it's just you and that trout, that battle between you and that creature you've tried to hunt. And then at the very last minute, that damn fish comes up and winks at you, gives you the fin, and then spits the hook. <laughs> <laughs> that moment to me is, just, I mean, it, it's one that just kills us all, right? But yeah. I've, I've learned in my takeaway, and one thing that has really stuck with me is that in that moment, if you can 
you can, you're going to do so many things. Like you're, it's going to bother you. You might even shed a tear, scream, toss a rod in the bank. Who knows what's going to happen in that moment. But right after that, if you could just take a few seconds to put something positive about what just happened. And I learned this by guiding. It is unbelievable the rest of the day's performance and also the future performance. And you, it almost in a way gives you closure to where you're at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I lost the fish. This is why, but this is what's going to motivate me to get the next fish. And really to me, that's that positive attitude is really what's stuck with me. And that's what I try to you know bring with me no matter where it is, whether it's river, speaking engagement, traveling at the airport, my flight's delayed 5,000 times. And you know, you just got to stay positive in life. Come on, that never happens out of Denver. (laughs) (laughs) I just plan on it. They're like, what time do you want to leave? And I just tell them 6 a.m. And they're like, why do you want to leave so early? Because it's probably going to be delayed. And because it's going to be delayed, I at least have two or three other options to get over to you. (laughs) Fair enough. Exactly. It's definitely definitely a big hub. I want you to fill in the blank. Fill in the blank, Landon. When I'm not fishing... I am usually doing what? Hanging with the fans. Yeah. Doing anything, man, like hiking, working out, you know, playing hacky sack, helping out with homework, just hanging with the fans, man. I'm just, you know, doing dinner. That's that's big to me. I really, it's really important. You know what? I really admire that. And I admire the fact that you and I have tried to do this numerous times. And you're like, you know what? I've been on the road for so many days in a row. I got a window with my family. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, man, I don't want to. I'm leaving that alone. When you have a minute, we'll make this work. But I, I totally respect no, that. And I appreciate that. I, I think the world needs more of that. If you could name a couple, no, sure. a couple of your favorite movies, they don't have to be current. Is there any movies you like to sit down and watch and kind of in your chill time? Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of them. So I will never forget in school when I was, I believe it was middle school, reading The Outsiders, the book. Oh, yeah. And then watching The Out- Outsiders movie. That was always a good one. I love I loved The Outsiders. That's, that's one that stuck with me. Westerns, I love Westerns. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is another movie. I, just, I love watching that one. On a lighter note, for some reason growing up, man, Free Willy just stuck with me. <laughs> even, <laughs> even to this day, man, I can... I can still watch Free Willy and, and get down with the whole the whole uh, the whole movie, man. It's incredible, right? I know that one sticks with me. And then the other one, on the lighter note, that I just loved, and of course kids love it too. Kung Fu Panda, man. That's that's like an all time fave too. That thing is awesome. Right <laughs> what's what's the best job you've ever had? Hmm. Great question. So uh, for me, it's one hundred percent guiding. Best job I ever had. If, if I were to say one job outside of being a fly fishing guide that I really enjoyed doing was there was a really interesting job that I had when I was in high school and it was blue collar, but one of my friend's fathers owned a construction company. And then he gave me a chance to go work for a painting company. And I was a commercial painter with a really good childhood friend of mine, Matt Wilkerson, who still lives in Colorado Springs. And we used to go paint homes during the off season from guiding. And it was, it was amazing because we would be in these homes painting for 10, 12, 14 hours. And we, you know, rush in next day and bring all our magazines, bring all our tying gear. And these are vacant homes that are being ready to be sold. So we'd set up vices on the table, 
bust out the magazines, take breaks, you know, intermediate breaks about painting all day. And that one stuck with me. Not only did it help me fund some of my saltwater journeys when I was in my 20s, but we made good money and it really gave Matt and I a chance to bond together. And I thought that was a really cool job. That's cool when you look back and think how much energy that took back in your younger days to work all day and then go do that. (laughs) I think about, I used to to work at a fly shop or a hunting fishing store called Big Sky and we used to, we used to shut her down at five o'clock. So you worked your eight hours. Then we get in the truck and we drive for an hour and a half and fish into the dark in the middle of nowhere. And I'm thinking, there's no way, (laughs) there's no way I could do that now. I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I just want to, I want to go home. I might tie a fly or two, but. I don't know. Yeah, that energy. Man. I know. The older you get, the you know you got to work at it. And I look back and think, geez, that youthful enthusiasm counts for something. <laughs> it does, man. And I, I, I really, you know, next to that job, the the other job that stuck out that's equally as cool is when when I guided on the Naknek River in Alaska with Don Meehan and Nack. Snack anglers and, and really good friend Matt Bynum, who still guides in Alaska right now. I forget, I think he's guiding at, I don't know the name of the lodge, but specifically going just for rainbows. When I, I did that when I was 22 years old, and I'll never forget flying out there three days notice. Matt calls me up at the Broadmoor Hotel. I was in the South Tower getting ready to do a trip through Colorado Fishing Adventures. He says, Landon, man, you ever, you ever thought about guiding in Alaska? I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. He goes, well, if you're in, man, pack your bags. You got to be here in three days. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then at that at that time in my life, I didn't really have anything holding me back or tying me down. So I thought, man, okay, maybe I can do this. So got back to them the next day, and of course, there was no reality TV shows at the time, no internet, no social media really to speak of, where you could you know you could look up online on the internet. My buddies Eric Mondragon and Matt Wilkerson were kind enough to give me giant eight by 10 photos of man eating bears before I left. So I know you could pull some stuff up online. So yeah, it's a little razzing gift, but that, that was a cool job. And I, I really enjoyed, I, I tell everybody that's when I became a man. When you're out there in the wilderness, God's country, moose, bears, hiking miles, working your butt off. So we're the, you know, you can justify sleeping on the bush plane in between flights, like straight up going to power nap mode. Right. I'll never forget that. I'm thankful for it too, man. I, I have the utmost respect for all the anglers and guides and everybody's working up in Alaska and, you know, rural country like that. Cause it's hard work, man, but that's another cool job that really stood out. I don't know how you guys do that. Like, um, I've never guided in my life, but I know that when you spend all your time outdoors, you're dealing with the wind, you're dealing with the elements, whether you're farming or fishing. I mean, it's like, you got to get used to that. Right. And at the end of the day, all you want to do is, is sleep. Yeah, you got, you do somewhat. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about the way the patterns are moving in the world now is that it's changing so much, you know, it's obviously keeping us on our toes, but you do, you, you get in routines to where when you're dealing with the elements or you can find moments or spots for rest between that, you really learn to capitalize. I mean, you're bouncing all over in that plane and you just put the earbuds in and, you know, <laughs> rock out for a 30 minute nap real quick and then get back up and ready to get after it. But yeah, you definitely, you get used to it in a sense, but I also think the best guides and the best teachers in the world, I myself, when I travel to new spots, use guides and want to learn and always remain a student. But the best guys in the world are the ones that always learn how to adapt and adjust and are willing to make that commitment. 
We're chatting tonight with Landon Mayer, Lake George, Colorado, father, author, guide. Landon, if you had to pick one location, your favorite that you've been, and I know you've fished all over the world, all over North America, is there one that's special to you that you just go back to every time? Yeah, I have to say that it, it's a trip I just am recently back from that I just took this last year. And that was a trip with Nomadic Waters, Michael Williams, his wonderful family, his sister Jean, an awesome photographer, David Cannon. And that trip sticks out with me because I, not only was I nervous, but it was a big moment for me. I always thought when I was younger, okay, I'm domestic, I'm traveling, I'm going to do this and that. You can do some travels around the world, but going to the jungle, watching guys like Jeff Currier when I was younger and all these other great anglers that are getting after these fish, I thought, man, going to the jungle, that's the ultimate. Like you're out there, you're putting yourself in harm's way in a sense. You're going after this really exotic fish. And that one just, it, it, I came back from that trip and I honestly said to myself and my family, I feel like a changed man. I mean, being able to visit the culture and communities in Barcelos, Manaus, and just really the community effort from the guides that were at Nomadic Waters, that one was a truly special trip. And I'm, that's why I'm going back. I'm hosting a trip this year and we're going in, in uh, November 6th through the 14th. I've, I've got two spots left. If anybody on the podcast hears that and wants to join the trip, it's an awesome, I'd recommend you try it, man, because that one really, I've done a lot of traveling. I've fished a lot of places, but that is something really unique. Hmm. You are known for a quote that, that comes up a lot whenever I've done some research on you, and that's 80% of the trout you catch are within 20 feet or less. Talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I totally yeah. believe that, but um, explain that. It's, um, I appreciate you bringing that up because it is, you know, when you, when you start fishing, you start realizing things. You start realizing trout prefer this or pike prefer that or carp prefer this. You start learning the ways of the fish you pursue. And then as an angler, you make the adjustments and adapt to those ways. And trout are doing the same adaptation the whole time. So that's why it's that cat and mouse game. But if you really think about it, whether it be the fish comes to you from 80 feet away, 60 feet away, whatever it is. I mean, you can make the longest cast possible. And even that long cast, so many times that fish eats in close. Or so many times you show up to the river and the largest fish you've seen all day is, I'm not kidding you, a foot off the bank, if not less. <laughs> or you need to make a cast quickly from five feet in front of you to 20 or 30 feet away. It's all of this close range adjustments that we make as anglers that makes us better. And that's why when we came out with the video mastering the short game with Headwaters Media, it sounds like a sales pitch, but the reason I designed and we came up with that three-year project was I so much believe in that concept that I just wanted to share with the public because I would not be able to do what I do for a living if I could not pursue those fish that are within 20 feet, it just simply would not happen. And that's why that, that quote and that saying holds true. 80% of the trout you encounter rivers, still waters, no matter where you are, is a very high percentage of those fish are within 20 feet or less. And it's, it's incredible. And if anybody wants to check that out, it's, it's master the And I, I really do think that that video will help teach you, but it's, 
it's something I just share with my clients every day. Today, for example, I was out with uh, Joe O'Connor, great individual, awesome human being, really can't move well on the water. You know, he's just, these are, these are his glory golden days. He's just getting out there and still remaining active and make it the best experience for Joe as possible. Sure enough, end of the day, right against the bank, a decent rainbow, beautiful fish, gorgeous, ends up making the cast. He hooks the fish. He can't move that well. So it's a big scramble to that moment where you're like, ah, you're chasing it down the bank. He finally lands the fish. And I looked at Joe and I'm just like, hey, man, congratulations. High five. Welcome back. He likes to drink Arizona iced tea. So we did cheers on the, on the cab, you know, or in the trunk of the truck. And it's, it was an amazing adventure, but it just goes to show you how many times that happens. And that's, that's pretty much what I live by, man. That's the code. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, something I'd, something yeah, I'd like to do on the program is uh, ask if you've got any weird or wild or wonderful stories that have happened to you on your time on the water, whether it's fish stories or client stories or stories with friends. Is there anything that stands out from all your time spent uh, chasing fins, Landon? Absolutely. So my my initiation to the sport of fly fishing so the story that sticks out to me is when I was guiding in Alaska on a pretty famous river called Brooks. And I'll never forget Chris, the senior guide, and a few other guides with him decided, hey, we're going to play a prank on Landon. And when I showed up, I literally was thrown to the wolves in a sense. I didn't have a lot of training, didn't even know how to operate a jet boat, didn't know what bears do, how they react, how to make adjustments to them. So this is what Chris tells me. He goes, all right, man you see a bear in front of you and that bear starts to shake its head in a giant circle and jump up and down and make grunting noises. He's like, you're dead. You're never coming back, man. It's going to kill you. You're going to become meat. Just know if you see that man, just accept it for what it is. And then he's like, if you see a bear in the distance and it's hunting fish, kind of doing its own thing, live and you're good to go. He goes, just don't worry about it. You'll be able to detect it. You're, you're fine. Just remember that. Because we're out in the wilderness here, you're dealing with bears. Of course, I'm ghost white. I'm just like, what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got all these other questions. Like, I'm like the kid in school raising his hands. I'm like, hey, Chris, so, so, like, where, where should I not go? What should I do? You know, pretty much very short, quick answers throughout the evening. I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope I survive this year. It'd be really cool to tell people about this. <laughs> it might be, might be one of those years. So we go to Brooks. It's my first trip to Brooks. So we landed Brooks in the bush plain. We hiked down uh, directly across from us is this tall grass. To the right is very large. That's on the lower half. And it's got a couple long limbs sticking off of it. And no big deal. Day's going great. Morning's going great at least. And, you know, hoping the afternoon's the same. All of a sudden before lunch, I see this, the grass, you know, the tundra grass just starts swaying back. And I'm like, man, what in the world? So I'm starting getting nervous until my clients come back a little bit. Sure enough, lo and behold, boom, this bear comes out and it is going nuts. It's jumping up and down, grunting, shaking its head around. And I'm like, we're dead. We're dead. <laughs> so I got my clients behind me and I'm like doing the dance with the bear. The bear crosses, we cross. We cross, the bear crosses. We go up and down. We're doing this. And this bear is all over the place going absolutely crazy. Lo and behold, the bear swings his head around, runs up the river goes up the tree, gets out on this limb, and we're talking 20 feet above Brooks River, 
and he starts grunting, rolling his head, jumping up and down on the limb, smack, literally falls 20 feet and does a belly flop in the old Brooks River. <laughs> my clients, my clients with water spraying up like 20 feet are stuck, frozen. <laughs> Chris is up like falling down on his back. My clients immediately look to the right and left at each other and they're looking for me. I'm gone. <laughs> I started running, man. I was like, oh my God, it's coming after us. Well, lo and behold, it's a, it's a teenage grizzly. Mom kicked it in the nest. The thing's all weak. Chris knew this and knew that the bear wasn't aggressive, but it really just didn't know what was going on. He had no idea it was going to go up in the limb. So to me, that was the the number one standout story. I'll never forget that. Like the bear belly flopping in the middle of Brooks river will stay with me the rest of that's, my life. That's amazing. <laughs> I love those wildlife encounter stories because we've all got them and, but that's, that's next, that's right. next level. If you could just put your artist hat on Landon for a second and, uh, think how I like to ask guides this question because you're always guiding for someone else. You're, you're trying to give your client that trip of a lifetime through their eyes. But I want to know it through your eyes. What do you want? Like, how would your perfect day look? Describe that to us. Oh, that's a great question. So a perfect day for me would be getting up in the morning, insulated sky. So you've got cloud cover, things are warm, fish are, fish are excited. And with the cloud cover and just warm conditions, fish start looking up at the hatch. And for me, this would be 100% a still water scenario with the damsel hatch. Mm. If, oh man, oil, and you start seeing more caddis popping and they're really skating and then, you know, fish are crashing and spraying water. And then following that, you've got damsels coming off, calibatus. You've got this crazy complex situation of hatches and it's calm. And then, Ideally, after that calm, about 12, 11, 12 o'clock, you get that little perfect chop where it's like one to three inches mm-hmm. enough to influence all those bugs to the edge and it's just enough to put cover on the water. And then with that being said, man, just skating, literally skating caddis and damselflies, it is unbelievable some of the side fishing encounters. It, it really it reminds Reminds me very much so of when I was in my 20s and painting and feeling for broke for these trips when we would go down to tarpon and fish for tarpon in Mexico or Florida and just watching how happy rolling each your fly, like pissed off tarpon that are just splashing and aggressive, but be the ideal day. And then towards the afternoon, evening, after that light chop comes in and you get flies moving the hatch subsides, but you still have some chop and you do the streamer game. And then right before dark, you just let it go calm again. And that's when you bust out a mouse or something big and crazy and the fish, you know, you get that one magical fish to come up and kill it. But to me, that would be the most exciting scenario that I would love at some point to encounter this year. (laughs) Amen. That sounds for <laughs> I thought about that one a little bit. I gotta say, man, that's I think you already painted that one. You're just reading it. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. I like it. Oh, it's great. If you it's could great. if you could change something about fly fishing, is there anything you would like to see us do differently or think that there's something we could do better at? 
I do. I think, I think the, some of the judgment that we have to deal with in fly fishing now, and when I say judgment, not judging the fish, not, not really something we do judging the day, but just, I, I think right now there's a disconnect in a positive way and also in a, in a frustrating way for some where there's just a lot of connection, immediate connection with the water. And a lot, we see that through Facebook and Instagram, and it's not a negative thing again. I mean, we all love Instagram. We use it, Facebook, you know, YouTube, all of it combined. But I think if, if there's a way to really, in addition to giving information, also the one thing that I wish we'd do more of in the sport, and this is what I'm leading to, it's really conservation. The one thing right now that we're battling so hard, man, and it, it just, we can't win at times. It feels like we're going to still stick with the plan, but just protection of, of the resource. And the most important resource is water and fish. There's two of them. Those two connections are so huge. And we try to protect spawning trout here. It doesn't happen all the time. There's, you know, we, we all deal with the scenario. You walk up to the river, there's fish spawning. Every single human being I've ever met will stop and look at the fish spawning. And we all wish like, oh man, it'd be so great to actually catch and hold that, that giant. But I think some, sometimes there's a disconnect with angler and the state they're in or the country they're in where if you allow that genetic gene pool to reproduce and we show how to protect, then we can really make a difference. I mean, it gives us more opportunities at larger wild trout. I mean, the other thing that's frustrating for us is we see this more in our still waters and our rivers. And that's why we started doing the clean and dream event every year in the South Platte is, man, you show up and you walk in the still waters and you want to keep that relationship going, even beyond fly fishers, where you're connecting with conventional, which we do a lot of, and people are fishing bait in some of these spots and just the amount of trash on the banks. That's, that's the other thing. I think it's, Fly fishing does a really good community of cleaning up, but I think just protecting the resource, water, fish, and cleaning up the grounds that surround that. I mean, that to me, that's where I think that could be the biggest difference. And by far, just really having those awareness signs or closures of rivers or stretches of rivers, I just so wish they do that. And we're trying to advocate really hard right now for closure of the spawning in the fall with brown trout three close the river off for a month in the evening. Just let the fish do their thing. Let them spawn, reproduce in the morning hours, daylight hours, you know, in the daylight, you can fish, you can stalk, avoid gravel beds, you know, avoid shallow gravel. I think all of that combined, but those are the two main things that I think really stand out right now. Yeah. Well said. What I want to do, Landon, if you don't mind, is get all your, your info out there. So if somebody wants to book a trip with you, uh, whether it's in Colorado or beyond, because I know you do these hosted trips as well, like you referred to earlier in the show. Sure. Get your get your social sure. media out there and and your your dot com. How how do we find you? Yeah, you bet. I appreciate that. the uh, The best way to book a trip or just questions or information is through landonmareflyfishing dot com, and then for for Instagram, it's at landonmareflyfishing dot com or uh, Instagram, sorry, and then for Facebook, it's Land and Mare Fly Fishing, and also YouTube. And the two trips I'm doing, Nomadic Waters this year, the Amazon River. If you go to nomadicwaters.com, you can see the trip that's hosted in November. I'm also doing one with Golden Dorado and the Paramount on the Fly. 
And those trips are going to be November for the Amazon, October 19th through the 28th for the Golden Dorado. And congratulations, they have postings for the, so I, I appreciate you offering that. And there's all kinds of great stuff on the website from information, knowledge. I do a newsletter where I give give out information every month for free and just list events. It's it's not something that comes out every week. It's something I like to share with people and gives you a chance to get, get back off the water. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time because I know you're a very busy guy. And uh, you're, you're, Oh, yeah, you, man. I'm happy to you, happy to do it. You inspire so many, and you've got so much, you know, there, there's so much information that you have to teach. And uh, just keep up keep up the good work, man, and, and have a great season on the water. Oh, I really I appreciate that, Mark. You do the same, man, and I, I want to give you congratulations on the unique path that you're taking your podcast, man. It's an honor to be on it. I'm, I'm encouraging others to do the same and connect with you and just talk some of the history and background. And, yeah, just keep doing your thing too, man. I wish you and your family the best on and off the water this year as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.